to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're continuing on in our Bible study on the book of Philippians. And the title of the whole series is Finding Joy in a Negative World. And tonight, we're going to really dig into that concept. It's kind of all through the book because Paul is writing from prison and in spite of everything, he still has joy. But the passage we're going to look at tonight, which is chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, it digs into that joy, but it digs into it from the perspective of having joy in spite of certain things. I mean, we could make a list of things that would bring us joy. What are some things that would really bring you joy? Baseball. Baseball. It's time for Super Bowl, Jose. You got the wrong season. (laughs) You don't care. You're ready. What else would bring you joy? Grandkids. Good news. Find out you had a great uncle you never knew and he left you $10 million. We all would like that, wouldn't we? Any kind of good news would bring us joy, right? But too often we wait until we have good news to have joy. Because to be honest with you, without Jesus, without God, it's kind of hard to have joy or happiness without something good going on. But the good news in general, (laughs) uh, not just good news that brings joy, is that we can have joy even when things aren't going the way we'd like them to. You know, the title of the lesson tonight is Joy in Spite of. What are some things that could be stuck at the end of that phrase? I want to have joy in spite of what? I want to have joy in spite of suffering. I want to have joy in spite of illness. I want to have joy in spite of pain. I want to have joy in spite of current situations, whether in your personal life, in the world, and you know, I said, whatever it might be. Yeah. Again, anything negative. I, we want to have joy in spite of that. And the good news is we can. We can. And we're going to find some keys here in this passage tonight. So we're going to read all the way through it. And then we're going to go back and work through it little by little. But our text tonight is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And Paul writes to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, and that includes sisters, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed and that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So again, Paul is writing from prison. The people in the church at Philippi have a very close relationship with him. They're not causing him any problems like some of the other churches he founded did. They have been helping to support him financially throughout his ministry, and they've sent him a financial, uh, a financial gift, financial support. A little known fact is that if you were in prison at this day, time, you had to provide for your own needs. Okay, your own food, everything. In fact, Paul's probably under house arrest and he's having to pay the rent for the house he's arrested in. Okay, and his food and all that kind of stuff. So this financial gift from the Philippians, I'm sure, is a great blessing. And that is one of the reasons he's writing this letter is to thank them. All right. So anyway, if you look at verse 18, which is kind of right in the middle of all that, um, he says, what then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ Jesus is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And that will is in the kind of the continuous. It's like, I will continue and always rejoice. All right? Paul is obviously experiencing joy in spite of. What is he enjoy, experiencing joy in spite of? He's in prison. That's the obvious one, because we mentioned it several times tonight. What else is he enjoying joy in spite of? Uh, hypocrites. Hypocrites, all right. What else? Persecution. You know, you study the story of his three missionary journeys. I mean, this is much later. He went on three different missionary journeys, and then he ended up in Rome on a fourth journey in prison. But those missionary journeys were great successes because many people came to know Jesus Christ as Messiah, if they were Jewish, but also as Savior for anybody and everybody. But it, was, it happened at the expense of a lot of persecution and violence, riots, jailings, beatings. I mean, there's a couple of places where Paul talks about, you know, he was beaten a number of times. He was stoned. He was in shipwrecks. He was in all this stuff. So Paul has gone through a lot of stuff. In fact, in the last four years, from the time of the writing of this book, okay, um, this isn't even counting his missionary journeys, he was arrested in Jerusalem, and it wasn't deserved. Um, it was a trumped-up charge that he was not guilty of, but he was arrested. He was the focus of religious and political plotting. In other words, he was a prisoner. He could have been set free any number of times, but the religious leaders and the Roman government were kept on playing games back and forth, and they held him in prison for a number for a while because of their own goals. All right, he finally had to say, "Hey, I appeal to Caesar." Okay, that's why he's in Rome. You know, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was held in prison in Caesarea, which was the capital of Israel at that time, for two years before he said, "I want to go to Rome." And now he's been in Rome for probably up to two years. And so he was sent to Rome to appear before Nero's court. Um, some things happened along the way. Anybody? It's a trivia question. But what are some of the things that happened on that journey from Caesarea to Rome? There was a shipwreck. There was a terrible storm. 
Everybody thought the whole ship was going to go down. Everybody's going to drown. And God told Paul, tell them they're not going to drown. And Paul went to him and says, listen, nobody's going to die, but we're going to lose the ship. You know, there's a shipwreck. They were stranded on this island for three months. Okay. It wasn't a deserted island, but, you know, he got bit by a snake. They were gathering wood for a fire. And the superstitious people said he must, you know, he must be, he's a prisoner. He must be guilty of murdering somebody. He's going to drop dead. That's God's judgment. And he didn't drop dead. So God used as an opportunity to preach the gospel again. Okay. But I mean, you know, even though he didn't drop dead, I'm sure it wasn't fun being bitten by the snake. Um, but now he's been in prison for up to two years. He's chained to a guard 24-7. No privacy. He's waiting to be tried. The end result could be that he's going to be executed. Now, those circumstances are a little bit rougher than most of the ones we face. But he still has joy. He still has joy. How can he have so much joy? Because, you know, he's mentioned it several times in this passage. But as we said before, joy is mentioned 15, 16 times throughout the whole book of Philippians. How can he have so much joy in spite of all this stuff he's been through? He's got inner peace, but where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. His relationship with God. Do you guys have the Holy Spirit in your relationship with God? Yeah, I, I, I do too. Do you have that kind of inner peace and joy all the time? Trying, right? We're trying. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that John, that John, that Paul never struggled. Maybe he did. You know, but the good news is, is that the same inner peace and the same joy is available to us as was available to Paul. Vita, did you want to say something? He was selfless. Yeah, there's a number of factors, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, is what are some of the factors that we see in this passage that helped him to have that joy, helped him to have that inner peace, and it can help us to do the same thing. On your note sheet, the first thing I have there, it's kind of an introductory comment. It says, Paul did not find his joy in his circumstances. He found his joy in pleasing God. Okay? So it didn't matter what his circumstances were. If he felt that and believed that he was pleasing God, he was happy. Didn't matter what else happened. And what God had asked him to do was to win people to Jesus, to preach the gospel. And as long as that was happening, Paul had joy. So I've got this um, question on your note sheet. How can we have joy in spite of? Okay, and that's what our main points are going to be about. But before we get to those main points... The same thing's true for us. If we want to experience God's joy, we must be concerned with pleasing God. Okay? If we want to experience God's joy, even in the midst of whatever the negative stuff is we're dealing with, we've got to have God's focus. We've got to be concerned about pleasing God. If we're just living life for ourselves, there'll be times we have joy, times we won't. Times we'll be happy, times we won't. Because it's all based on us. And me, and my wants, my desires, my circumstances. If they're good, great, I'm happy. If they're not, I'm not. But if we're focused on pleasing God, and then we're actually doing, we're living life to try to do that, then we can have his joy. So, there's a couple of main points that we're going to draw out of this passage that go along with that. And the first one is this. We need to see things from God's perspective. We need to see things from God's perspective. You know, there's, there's story after story after story in the Bible. And if we were to take the time to just start listing them, which we won't because we wouldn't have time to get through this lesson, of times when it seemed like someone who loved God was trying to do the right thing and they faced some terrible situation. And then later on they found out that from God's perspective, it was the perfect situation. 
He was preparing. He was working something out. He, he was going to bring good out of it. I think of Joseph in Egypt as one of the major ones. But, I mean, just, and if you think about it, almost every single saint, what we would call a saint. Now, we learned a couple weeks ago that we're all saints if we know Jesus. But the people that we look at as heroes in the Bible, almost every single one of them faced difficulty, faced problems. But in almost every single situation, you can look and say, that was actually part of God's plan because of the good that he was going to bring out of it. And the same thing is true for Paul, and the same thing is true for us. We can have joy no matter what we're facing if we will see things from God's perspective. Okay? We see this in verses 12 to 14. Let me reread that very quickly. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Understand the Philippians know he's in jail. They're thinking, oh man, Paul has such an impact for God. Now it's over. He can't travel anymore. He can't talk to big groups of people. It must be over. And Paul says, no, no, you'd think that, but not really. In fact, being here has served to really advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment's for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, Paul's greatest desire was to preach the gospel. And when he got toward the end of his second and third missionary journey, he felt like God was telling him to go to Rome. Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. He had been preaching the gospel kind of on the outskirts over there in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, you know, in Israel. And he wanted to go to the headquarters and share the gospel so that from there it could go all over the place. And he talks about that. I meant to put this on your note sheet and I forgot. But in Acts 19.21, he talks, he's telling these people, he says, I'm going to make this trip and then I'm going to go to Rome. And then in Romans 1.15, he's writing to them because he's not gotten there yet. He's, I'm going to come see you guys. Okay. How do you think at that time he anticipated that that would happen? How do you think he anticipated that he would get to Rome? Well, you got to tell us what God told Ananias. Yeah, it could be. But that wasn't specific. God told Ananias that Paul's going to end up suffering a lot for the gospel. So Paul's made all these missionary journeys. He wants to go to Rome. He's planning to go to Rome. How do you think he's going to get, how do you think he thinks he's going to get to Rome? Well, God's going to make a way, but he's just going to take another journey, right? In other words, Paul, I believe, wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but now he's going as a prisoner. In fact, he probably would never have dreamed that. Now, please understand, when it got toward the end, there were all these prophecies saying, Paul, if you go back to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And there are a lot of people saying, don't go back, don't go back, don't go back. And it was God speaking. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. But God had also spoken to Paul and said, you need to go to Jerusalem. And Paul's attitude was, if I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be arrested. But God wants me to go to Jerusalem. But I imagine in his mind, he never would have dreamed. And I keep emphasizing that because, you know, there's things that God wants to do in our life that we might go, yay, God, let's do that. But he may take us through a path that's like, I never would have dreamed he'd done it that way. And one of the reasons he doesn't reveal it to us is because we might run the other way. Paul didn't, but we might. Okay. Well, he just wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, yeah. So he talks about all this stuff that happened, and, and, and he says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. All these things that we just talked about, all right? And 
again, he's concerned that maybe the Philippians are thinking, well, he's in prison now. And he may have had those thoughts at the beginning, too. So the gospel, you know, he can't have as much effectiveness or whatever. He says, guess what? God surprised me. I'm being even more effective. He's actually served as a great advance rather than a hindrance. It served to advance the gospel. All these things that have happened. And let's look at how that happened. On your note sheet, letter A, Paul's chains gave contact with the lost. Now, granted, he could have contact with the lost without being in chains. He did that for his three missionary journeys. He went, he traveled all around, spoke to great big crowds, little tiny groups. You know, people would gather. But there are people he has contact with now that he would not have been able to have contact with if he hadn't become a prisoner. Who's he in contact with now that he could not have contact with if he hadn't come as a prisoner? You got the soldiers. These soldiers are chained to him. Four-hour shifts. And these are not just everyday, ordinary soldiers. These are Caesar's palace guard. These are the elite of the elite, the highest level, okay? And, you know, they couldn't get away from Paul. And the good news is that since he's under house arrest, and you can read more about that in Acts um, um, 28, verses 11 to 31. It's on your note sheet. We're not going to read that. But it talks about how when he was arrested, he was in his own house, and the guards were there, and they would cycle in and out. And we don't know, but it could be that over time he didn't just have, you know, this guard for four hours, and then he was back tomorrow for the same hour, four hours. It could be over those two years. He may have had any number of guards that drew that, especially if the guards didn't want to be there. It's like, you draw the short straw. I don't know. You know, but not only can Paul, which I don't, I don't believe Paul would have forced it down their throat, but you know he's going to share the gospel with the guards. But not only that, but he's able to have visitors. And he's sharing the gospel with them. He's teaching them. These guards can't get away. They're chained to him. They're hearing all this preaching and all this teaching. Right? Yeah. And uh, so, and the thing is, is you know that those guards are going back and talking about this crazy Paul. You know, and if any of them got saved, they're sharing the gospel too. In fact, he says, you know, people in Caesar's household are hearing about this. It's not because Paul's out there walking around Caesar's household. It's probably because the guards are talking about it in Caesar's household. And also keep in mind, he's preparing for the trial. So there are people that are probably coming to talk to him about the trial. You know, they got to learn. There are people that probably are studying the Bible to find out why Paul has been arrested. You know, and maybe even people that are going to try to refute what Paul believes and they're having to study it. So, you know, God opened up doors for Paul that he never would have had. He couldn't have planned it. Yeah, Carlton? Yeah, yep. He definitely had access to people he never would have had. You know, we don't know whether he ever had access to Caesar or not, but that was even potentially possible. Chris? Being a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's another thing that we didn't talk about that he had survived was as an assassination attempt back in Jerusalem. But, you know, was it successful? Well, we know it was to a degree because actually if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to jump over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, he gets to the end of the, the letter, okay, and he's having these closing comments, and he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So... Apparently, yes. Apparently, these this two years of um, being in chains had its effect even on people in Caesar's household. So, 
Paul's chains gave contact with the lost. Letter B, Paul's chains gave courage to the saved. He said, because I'm in prison, some of the people that were kind of holding back, now they're out there sharing the gospel. You know, and it doesn't give the details, but I can imagine it's like, well, you know what? If Paul can stand up for Jesus and be arrested and be in prison and still share, I can do it too. You know, and that's kind of the idea that's there. I don't know about you, but I, I've, been, I've been challenged many times hearing stories perhaps of missionaries that leave everything and go to another country and see the stuff that they face and stuff. You know what? If they can do that to go over there and share Jesus, I can share Jesus with people around me. I don't have near the problems that they might have, the opposition, the, the cost, the sacrifice. Why can't I not? And he said that there were those that they were more confident. Verse 14, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay? You know, another thing that's not mentioned in the text, but for the most, Paul wrote 13 letters that are in Scripture. I bet he wrote a whole bunch more. But four of those letters were written during this time. Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians. Some of my favorite books. I don't know about you. I bet he wrote a whole bunch of other letters, too, that we don't have in Scripture. It gave him opportunities to do a lot more writing, and we benefited from four of those. So before we move on, I just want to ask you, what chains do you have? You know, if you think about the figures, what chains are there in your life that it's like, you know, if you'd have planned your life, you would have done without that. But God has allowed it to be there. God may want to use that for something phenomenal. On your note sheet, let me say this, and then I'll take your hand, Jeff. Sometimes it's your response to your chains that influences somebody else. Sometimes it's the response to your chains that influences someone else. Yes, Jeff, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I wish I would have had Amen. You know, we can all look back, some more than others, at difficult things we've been through in life, whether a dysfunctional home or a situation, financial problems, relationship issues, whatever. And I'm not saying that God wanted all those things, but he can use all those things. And so our chains can be things that God can use in powerful ways if we're willing to surrender those to him. Yeah. And that goes to what I've told you many times is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say that all things are good. Doesn't even say that God wanted all those things, but that God can work all things to the good. Okay? I've got three little sub-principles. Just going to give them very quickly to you that kind of go with this point, and then we've got to move on. The first sub-point there is God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. If God lets you go through a problem, even if you cause it yourself... Um, I don't know about you, but I've done some stupid things in my life, caused myself problems I could have avoided. If we ever do that, God can still use that. He didn't want it, you know, especially if it was done in rebellion against what he says to do or whatever, or not using wisdom or whatever. God can still use that and he can bring, he can have a purpose through that. Okay. The second sub point is my circumstances aren't as important as what I do with them. I've mentioned this a number of times, especially when you look at what James says, when you're going through difficult times, count it all joy, because God wants to use that in your life to bring about good stuff, maturity and all that kind of stuff. So when we go through difficulties, you know, as I've said many times, pray, God, take it away. God, heal it. God, work it. I'd like to get rid of this. 
But don't stop there. Say, but God, what do you want me to learn from this? And how do you want to use this in my life or through my life to bring good? Okay? Because God has a purpose behind every one of our problems, and our circumstances aren't near as important as what we do with them. Okay? And then to be able to keep that joy, I like this number third, this third one. Rejoice in what God is doing rather than complain about what God didn't do. Okay. Find the good you can rejoice in. All right. So the first point, which is the longest one, if we want to experience joy in spite of, we need to see things from God's perspective, recognizing that we won't be able to see all the details. Maybe not till we get to heaven. But just realize that if we can't see where there's good involved, that God knows. And if we cooperate with him, he will bring good out of it. And some of that good may not be till we get to heaven. You say, I've, I've claimed that promise for a couple of situations in my life. There's not been any good. Well, he may give it to you later in this life, but you may not get the full aspect of the goodness of it till you get to heaven. But I can tell you what, if you've got to wait that long, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Second thing is focus on God's priorities. Focus on God's priorities. One of the reasons we don't experience joy is we're so focused on our priorities and we don't meet them, we don't reach them, we don't whatever. Focus on God's priorities. Verses 15 to 18. Just after he talked about how some of the brothers are now standing up with courage because of his example and they're preaching the gospel. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I was put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, I don't have any subpoints for this point, but I've got some really important things to say here. If you study Paul's life, read it, or whatever, people opposed Paul wherever he went. And false teachers would come into the churches that he had established, and that's what caused the problems. And he wrote a lot of his letters to try to correct the false teaching. He often had to defend his apostleship. Now, who are these people here in Philippians he's talking about? He says, some people indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. He says, you know what, some of the brothers, they've got courage now. They're preaching the gospel. You know, some of the people are preaching the gospel because they envy me. They feel like they're in rivalry with me. You know, they're doing it to try to make me miserable. And Paul says, they're not going to do it. I don't care. As long as they're preaching the gospel. All right. Now, I want you to understand something. We're talking here about people who are preaching the gospel. They're not preaching false teachers. If we're talking about false teachers here, Paul would be the first one to say, kick him out of the church. you got to get rid of Because he did in so many other letters. you got to watch out for the false teaching. Don't listen to it. Don't let them have any leadership. You've got to deal with it. All right? He's actually talking about people who are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for the wrong motives, maybe not going about it the best way. And it seems to indicate, well, it doesn't just seem to. It indicates here that they're doing it to somehow poke at Paul. Maybe they didn't like him, and he's in jail. Maybe they're just preaching the gospel and say, hey, I can preach the gospel. You can't. <laughs> you know, I got freedom. You don't. How would most of us respond if people were doing that to us? No, we wouldn't take it too well. We probably wouldn't talk too very nicely, not very nicely about them or, or whatever. And Paul says, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. As long as they're preaching the gospel and people have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. You know, being a pastor, 
And this would be true of you too, even if not as a pastor. You hear about all kinds of preachers and teachers, and you can read their books and watch them on YouTube and TV shows, radio shows and stuff. And you might find some that you don't agree with. You may find some you don't care for their style. You may find some it's like, I don't really care for the way they teach that or whatever. But you know what? If they're preaching the gospel, you need to pray for them. You know? I mean, there are certain preachers I love to listen to and I really follow and all that kind of And other ones are like, mm, yeah, I know. They got some things that are a little kind of mm, off balance. But they're, they're Christians but, and the gospel's good. But you know what? It's like the gospel's being preached. All right? Now, again, we don't put up with false teaching. But verse 18, he says, What then? I like what the New International Version says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. He says, you know what God's priority is? To reach the lost. And that's what I'm trying to do. And these people, even though they may be preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons in the wrong ways or whatever, they're preaching the gospel. And that reaches some lost. There's a plus there. Maybe a couple minuses too, but there's a plus there. All right. I like this. Paul didn't care about his reputation or getting credit as long as the gospel was preached. It wasn't about Paul. You've got to watch people who are involved in ministry that it's all about them. Okay? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. I love this story. This is a true story. You may have heard about this. There were two great English evangelists, John Wesley and George Whitefield. They lived a long while ago. They both were used powerfully by God in England and in the United States. So these two great English evangelists, John Wesley and George Whitefield, they disagreed on a lot of things, especially some doctrinal things. They were both very successful at preaching and reaching the lost. They saw multitudes come to Christ, and someone asked Wesley if he expected to see Whitefield in heaven. And Wesley replied, no, I don't think so. They said, then you don't think that Whitefield is a converted man? He said, of course he's a converted man, Wesley said, but I don't expect to see him in heaven. He's going to be so close to the throne of God, and I'm going to be so far away, I won't be able to see him. So even though they didn't agree on everything, they recognized, or he recognized, he's a man of God, he's preaching the gospel. I don't do it the same way, but he knows God. Okay, so we need to focus on what really counts. Focus on God's priorities, okay? Um, Anyway, third one. Depend on God's power. If we want to have joy in spite of, we've got to depend on God's power. Verses 18 to 20. Carrying on where we left off there. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay? He says, I've got this eager expectation. The word that's used here is somebody who's looking ahead to can't wait to see what's going to happen. All right? He's full of eager expectation and hope. And he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What would be this deliverance he's talking about? Anybody know? What could it be? Okay, but what is he expecting? His expectation, but what is he expecting? What, is he, what deliverance is he expecting? That in spite of all this, God would be glorified. Yeah. I mean, it could be... What did you say, Sharon? That 
Okay. It's the same thing as what Carlton said. Yeah. So I said, well, maybe he's, he's already got an inkling that he's not going to stay in prison long, which he didn't. He was actually released from prison, had a couple more years of ministry before he was arrested again, and then eventually put to death for his faith. Okay, that's what church tradition and history seems to indicate. It's not in the book of Acts. All right. So he could be talking about that, but some people say, well, he's talking about his ultimate deliverance. You know, when we leave this life, we're delivered from this life. And in fact, he talks about that later. He says, whether I live or die, it's all good. I think it's all wrapped up in there. I think he's saying, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, by the time we get to the end of the passage tonight, he's kind of got the feeling like, I think I'm going to get out of this thing. Because I think God's got more for me to do with you guys. All right? But whether he does or not, I've got this eager expectation about how God's going to work this all out. What's going to happen? I'm not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be ashamed. I've got this hope. I've got full full courage that God's going to be honored through all of this. Okay? So, Paul was full of eager expectation and hope, and he depended upon God's power. I've got two subpoints there under that on the note sheet. Letter A, God's power released through prayer. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers... You know, we mentioned this last week because we were talking about Paul's prayer for the Philippians. But over and over again, he not only tells these churches that he's praying for them, but he says, please pray for me. But it's not for personal stuff. It's for... Pray that God will give me strength to preach God's word. Pray that I can preach it clearly. Pray that God will open doors. All right? He's always asking for prayer because he knows it makes a difference. And then letter B, God's power given by the Holy Spirit. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Whatever that deliverance is. And you know, you've got the human element and you've got... The Holy Spirit's element. And that's the way it is for us too. We pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. That's our responsibility. And then we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength we need to live the life he's called us to live and do what he's called us to do and to make a difference in this world. On your note sheet, I kind of summarize it this way. Paul had joy because he was not dependent on just his own resources, but God's. He did his part. He did a lot. He did a lot of walking. Okay? A lot of swimming. (laughs) A lot of suffering. But he was dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing on your notes, this is God's presence and power is sufficient. What is God's presence and power sufficient for? What? All things. In fact, it's part of Philippians, right? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, don't take that out of context. It doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want to do. I, it'd, be, it'd probably be amazing to get to heaven and find out how many basketball teams and football teams and baseball teams quoted that verse before a game. It'd be interesting to see how many teams, especially if they were in a Christian league, that both teams were quoting that and believing that they're going to win because they can do all. That's not what that's referring to. That's referring to that God can help you do what he wants you to do. What he's called you to do. He's not going to let you down. Okay? Alright. The last one, number four. Live for God's purposes. If you want to have joy in spite of, live for God's purposes. I know there's some overlap here. Don't just live for your purposes. Live for God's purposes. Verse 20 to 26. Reread that. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He says, if I keep on living, I got lots more stuff I can do for God. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Because I'd like to go on and be with Jesus. They can put me to death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul's full of this eager expectation, this hope that whatever happens to him, he lives longer, he does things for Jesus, or he's put to death, Christ is going to be honored. What was the worst thing that could happen to Paul? He could be executed, right? He says, I don't care. That'd be a good thing. (laughs) You know, he felt that death would be a good thing. On your note sheet there, letter A, Paul's purpose was to honor Christ with his life. But letter B, Paul's purpose was to honor Christ with his death. What does he mean by honor? He wants to exalt, magnify, please God. Do what God called him to do. As long as he's alive, he's going to keep doing that. If God lengthens his life, and as I said, by the end of this passage, he's, he's got this feeling like, I think, I think I am going to be getting out of this place. I think I'm going to live for a while because I think there's more that God wants me to do. And with you guys... But whether he does or doesn't, I know Christ is going to be glorified. So I'd, I'd rather go on, you know, to heaven. You know, he had mixed feelings about it. I mean, if you'd been through everything Paul went through, it's like, Jesus, I'm ready. I don't know, maybe you like me sometimes you say, you say that now. Jesus, I'm ready. <laughs> All right? Um, but anyway, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever known anybody. Hopefully not, but maybe you've known somebody who... They were ready to die, but it's not because, like, I've lived a nice, full, long life, and I'm ready to go meet Jesus, but it's like, I'm just ready to be done. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not, I'm just, not, I'm just ready to be done. He's not saying that. He's saying, if God wants to take me, that's fine, because I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, he's saying, it's more beneficial for me if I can go be with Jesus, but it's more beneficial for you if I'm here, because I can help you. So that's okay. That's good. That's what'll happen. You know, later in this letter, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, he puts it this way. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, uh, call of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, whatever's ahead of me, I'm going to keep pushing forward for whatever God's got for me. All right. All right, so we wrap this up. How can we have joy in tough times As we mentioned earlier, if you want to experience God's joy, we must be concerned with pleasing God. And on your note sheet, I have this. Your experience of joy depends on what you live for. Your experience of joy depends on what you live for. Are you living for God's purposes, using God's power, focusing on his priorities, seeing things from his perspective? I came across this when I was studying this. To take this same verse, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we were to put in what some people would put in there, if they were honest, it might sound something like this. For me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. For me to live is power and to die is to lose it all. For me to live is pleasure and to die is an end to it all. So, you know, if people, if we live for other things, it's not going to last. 
But if we live for him and his purposes, we've got everything to look forward to. I heard an author I love, his name is Randy Alcorn, and he's written a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. And his whole ministry is called Eternal Perspectives because it's all on life and how it impacts eternity and all that kind of stuff. And he says, one of the reasons a lot of people, even some Christians, have a hard time with the idea that they're going to die and leave this world is because they feel like they're leaving so much behind. But if we're truly living for Christ with the right mindset, and we've got to get there, then we've got everything to look forward to because we're sending it on ahead. And I'm not just talking about money, you know, investing God's money in God's kingdom. That's part of it. But our time and our energy. And if, if everything is lived toward pleasing God and doing what he wants us to do, it's all ahead of us. It's all ahead of us. On your note sheet, the last thing on there, you've probably heard this before. How can you really have joy? It's Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And that really is a theme throughout this. We're going to see that a lot more through Philippians. We see it in Paul's attitude here. I'd rather go with Jesus, but that's okay. I'm going to put you before me, so I'm willing to stick around. You know, And he's going to talk some more about that in later chapters, about how we should live unselfishly, you know, looking out for other people. So anyway, we can have joy in spite of, but we need to be focused on what God wants us to be focused on and be doing what he wants us to do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to look at your word tonight. I know you've used it to encourage us and to challenge us, maybe learn and grow from it. And Lord, I thank you that we have your joy available to us no matter what we're facing. And I pray specifically for those who are here tonight, or maybe somebody's listening to this later. And right now they're struggling to find joy. Maybe they need a mind shift, an attitude shift, get their focus in a different direction. Maybe it's just because it's so tough. But I pray, dear God, that tonight would not be a condemnation, but it'd be a challenge and an encouragement to look to you and to focus on you and what you want to do and how you're going to bring good out of this one day. And they'll be able to find that joy in their heart because they know that you're at work. And God, use us. Use us to touch other people's lives. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 